Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it, and happy February 2nd. It's Groundhog Day, which it's actually February 1st for me right now. I'm Derek Hunter. This is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the second day of February 2022, 323. I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. Action-packed program for you, as always. Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. That's where you can... Enter to win a signed, autographed, if you will, book by either Brad Thor or Senator Mike Lee. Those two facing off head-to-head this week and all sorts of other goodies and special shows and the Week in and Review and all that stuff. Check it out, ladies and gentlemen, and please support the program. I appreciate the hell out of it. Now let's get started. All right, there is a lot going on. There's a bunch of stuff to talk about, of course, every single day. The stuff never ends, but we do have to... St- start in this i you know i'm sitting there doing show prep i'm sitting here looking around the internet and then suddenly this morning pops up there's tom brady there's tom brady the greatest of all time is retiring again i don't know i i think i probably believe him this time it's a year too late he's already lost his family he's it just seems like um if for my money, Tom Brady was smart, he would have gone out after winning that seventh Super Bowl. Nobody else is going to win seven Super Bowls. Maybe maybe somebody as a coach or whatever, uh, but not as a player. You're not going to win seven Super Bowls like Tom Brady did. And especially, like, maybe you're a lineman. You get to six Super Bowls with the Patriots, and then you're traded. You're still in the league, and you, you I don't know. There's probably somebody on the Eagles or the, well, no, because they wouldn't have played long enough to have been in there. I saw a stat the other day where like 42% of the time or 43% of the time of the seasons, Tom Brady went to the Super Bowl, the seasons that he played. This was a couple years. It was actually a podcast for the uh, Victory podcast about Entourage uh, from a couple years ago. It was right after he won the second one. And it was the stat was actually, I think, 47% of the time of the seasons that he played he went to the Super Bowl, whereas Steph Curry's shooting for three is like career was 43%. So there was a better chance that Tom Brady was going to go to the Super Bowl than Steph Curry was going to make a, 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 a three-point shot. It's amazing. Now, that's gone down a little bit. It might be on par. But honestly, Tom Brady should have probably retired at the top of his game. Nobody ever does. See, everybody, this is the problem. Everybody looks at uh, the top of their game as though they're never going to leave the top of the game in sports. But everybody does. I'm listening again to an audiobook called The Big Bam about Babe Ruth. There was nobody even close to Babe Ruth in baseball. There was nobody even close to Babe Ruth's dominance of baseball in all of sport. There was nobody who was even close to that. And when the time came, he went down he deteriorated his skills deteriorated pretty rapidly he could still hit a home run when he got a hold of the ball he just got a hold of the ball a lot less a lot of that had to do with you know eating 15 16 hot dogs in a sitting drinking constantly and chasing women all over the place but whatever the reason maybe that's what tom brady does i doubt it though i think he all eats his avocados but whatever the reason it just happens age 
is undefeated. Age is on un- time is undefeated. It will get you. And so Tom Brady should have recognized that. There's no way that two years ago, getting out of bed on Monday morning was as easy as getting out of bed 10 years ago was. And at a certain point, you just have to go, you know what? I'm going out on top. There really aren't very many athletes who do it, who go out on top. Maybe it's because maybe he was, you know, already having marital troubles and didn't want to be around Giselle and his kids or whatever. But for some reason, he decided that, uh, no, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to go even longer after retiring. Well, I want to play this just I'll play. It's like 58 seconds long of Tom Brady announcing this time is for totally for serious. He's going to retire. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So I really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. There it is. That's it. That's the way you should have done it last year. I don't like these massive press conferences. You do that when you go into the Hall of Fame or whatever. But he's out. So he says. So we shall shall see. Now, that's it. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Tom Brady, but I just think that if he'd have done this before, probably would, might still be married. You never know. Might still, you know, not have to split his time with his kids and move the kids around and all that crap. But uh, ambition, blind ambition, it's a weird thing. I think you stick around longer. You tarnish your record. Brett Favre's last couple of years, what is it, last year in Minnesota or wherever he was. It's enough, all right? Joe Montana going to Kansas City. Okay, he did all right. But enough. You just got to know when to leave the stage. Tom Brady's leaving the stage. We'll see. There's always a 12% chance he'll come back. So <laughs> you never know. I want to talk a little bit about honesty in media and honesty and reporting, you should always look at everything and listen to everything skeptically, skeptically. Trust but verify. And I highly recommend you verify um, everything, including moi, whilst I am so infrequently incorrect as to barely register. Uh, It does happen on occasion. A stopped clock is right twice a day, but it's wrong the rest of the day. And so you look at a a situation and you hear something, and if it doesn't sound right, look it up. The internet exists, for not for this reason, but the internet exists and it can be used for this purpose, so you might as well do it if it bothers you. If it doesn't bother you, then, then don't waste your time. But do it for everybody. Do it across the board. So much of what is reported sure seems like opinion. There's a reason for that. It's because it is opinion. 
It is not fact. It is amazing how these leftists have bastardized what constitutes news, where you can look at the, just uh, whatever cable system you have, just for fun. I don't know who writes these, but look up on your your, uh, guide the description of any of the prime time, but really not even prime time, daytime shows on MSNBC versus the description of the shows on Fox. And Fox is just like opinion, discussion of the news of the day, blah, 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 blah. Or every once in a while they're throwing powerful opinion or something like that. I don't know. Maybe the people who work at Fox, if they're written by the networks, maybe the people who write them are just terrible at it or stupid people. Who knows? You should frankly turn it all off, not watch any of it. Your life will be infinitely better for it. Get informed, but uh, get informed without the filter by looking at both both uh, as many news sources as you possibly can. But the opinion shows you can definitely do without. That being said, if you look at the MSNBC descriptions, it is uh, journalist Rachel Meadow takes an in-depth look at the news stories of the day, most impacting, blah, blah, And like, oh, journalist Rachel Maddow. Chris Hayes is, uh, goes a d- deep discussion about the issues of the day in an honest and fair way. And you go, how? what planet do these people live on? And honestly, they live on their own planet. They, we have different planets now. The information age has become a pathetic bifurcation age, is really what it should be. You can live in a world where news you don't like, where facts you wish weren't, can be excluded. They can be stiff-armed and kept away from you. It's great for certain people's self-esteem. Well, it's not so great for the reality of it. You watch any of these shows... And you sit there and you go, what planet is this? Flip on MSNBC for a bit this evening. I, I, I dare you. Flip it on and see if you recognize the planet. You'll recognize the language. But I don't think you'll recognize the planet. Same thing goes for for the conservative sites. I forget what show I was watching. You're not supposed to talk about Fox or they'll ban you forever, but I don't really care. They um, The story flipped to something about Biden, about Biden and Harris and why they're wildly unpopular and whatever, and Democrats need to drop them or they're thinking about dropping them or whatever. And there are stories, there are grumblings, there are always grumblings when there's an unpopular president. Should we drop them? Is he going to run for re-election? Blah, 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 whatever. But it was the exact same rhetoric that was being discussed by the paid talking heads on there that was employed before the election. Before the election, where the red wave is coming, Joe Biden is so unpopular, it's good. Democrats need to seriously think about what's going on here because Joe Biden is so wildly unpopular, he's going to harm Democrats up and down the ticket. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, did you not just live through November? Did you not just live through November? And then you got to realize, and I realized, that's what the majority of that audience wants to hear. 
or whatever. They they study these things. I promise you. They look all these networks look at their ratings by minute. Now they're on cable. So they know exactly how many people. Used to be, you know, over the air when it was through the rabbit ears and whatever. You had to uh, have people, a small sampling of people, who would keep little booklets, a journal. And they go, I watched Channel 7, I watched NBC from uh, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. and then switched over to Channel 5 for the news and went to bed. You had to write this stuff down. Now, that was wildly inaccurate. Small sampling, statistical sampling is never as accurate as an actual headcount cable news the cable channel knows exactly what channel what networks your boxes are on so they have an actual absolute count down to a head they don't know how many you got 10 people in the room they can't count that but they know how many households are watching there is no because when it was the booklets they used to do radio the same way they used when it was the booklets you'd sit there and you'd go Oh, crap, I forgot for like the last three days to write down what I was watching. I'll just, I'll write down whatever it was. Whatever I normally watch or whatever. And you just fill it in retroactively, which gives you, again, bad data. But it was the best way to collect data. Now they don't need to worry about that. They know exactly what your TVs are on, if they're on. If the cable box is on, actually, the TV doesn't even need to be on. If the cable box is on and you just turn the TV off, whatever channel you were watching still gets credit for somebody watching it. That's why I think a lot of these cable channels, these net news channels, have a, a floor where you can't get less than this X number of viewers. And I think it's because people fall asleep, people leave the TV on. There's no way they're watching this stuff that often. It's just on. They turn the TV off and the cable box is still on because they haven't configured the remote to do both. But whatever it is, you can create your own world. And I was watching this; these people talk. And it's like, November happened, okay? November happened. It was funny because the hypocrisy of the left is well known to the right. It's not well known to the left. MSNBC, the, one of the stories was... Democrats are considering, they're pushing, I think it was, for the uh, convention for 2024 to be in Atlanta. Go, oh, let's put it on it. Let's put it in Atlanta. And they were mocking them going, well, they just last year, they were talking about Jim Crow 2.0, how horribly racist the state was. They chased the Major League Baseball all-star game out of Atlanta, blah, blah, blah. All true. All true. They had a montage of Joe Biden talking about Jim Crow 2.0 and Jim Eagle and all the other stupid things that he and other Democrats said when they thought it would work to their advantage. And they cited a poll that said literally zero percent of black people had a problem voting down in Georgia under these supposed oppressive new uh, rules and turnout was way up. Do you think the people who watch MSNBC know any of that? They don't. They've probably never heard it. If you told them that, they would likely look at you the way a dog would look at you if you tried to explain quantum physics to it. That's just how it works. They will never hear those things. There are things, like I said, if you watched MSNBC tonight for half an hour, there will be things you did not hear. There will be stupid things said by, dare I say, stupid Republicans. 
that will be highlighted. Now, you'll never have heard of this Republican. But it will be presented as though this person is one heartbeat away from leadership of the Republican Party. You watch Fox, you might get an occasional update on George Santos. You watch CNN, and you think George Santos was just elected Speaker of the House. You watch MSNBC, and you would think that George Santos were gathering an army outside Washington, D.C., ready to invade and try and overthrow the entirety of the United States government. In reality, George Santos is a backbenching member of the House of Representatives that uh, has no impact on your life whatsoever. He's a lying piece of crap who lied about his biography, who lied about his personal life, who lied about every aspect seemingly of his existence to this point in his election bid, which he won. So what? It's kind of like the president of the United States. You'll never hear that comparison. You'll never hear on MSNBC the lies that Joe Biden tells. Joe Biden doesn't tell lies. It's not like they sit there and say Joe Biden doesn't tell lies. They simply ignore the lies of Joe Biden. It's like watching a highlight reel from a Biden event from the Associated Press. It's, you know, a minute and a half long on social media. And you, you, you know the clips because you've seen them because you follow conservative media. But when it comes up to the point where Joe Biden butchers somebody's name, blatantly lies about something from his own life, makes stuff up completely, or just starts smearing people who disagree with him while talking about being a unifier, right up to that point, you get the Associated Press, and then they stop it right before that bit comes in there where he, he sings, Happy Birthday! That doesn't make the highlight reel. It didn't exist, the Associated Press. Mitt Romney goes to Poland during the 2012 campaign. Reporters are screaming at the top of their lungs across a, a uh, field as they're laying a wreath to World War II victims, screaming, what about your gaffes? That's nonstop. The President of the United States, for the eighth time in his presidency, tells a verifiable lie, insignificant, but verifiable lie about the amount of time he spent riding trains, riding Amtrak, and nobody bothers to point it out, let alone ask any questions about it. Oh, the Washington Times did, I guess. Sorry. But again, the Washington Times is part of that bifurcated, compartmentalized Tupperware media where everything is cracked and smashed into its own little container. There's no spillage. There's no seepage. There's no cross-contamination. And then we get this from the Washington Post. Newsrooms that move beyond, quote, objectivity, end quote, can build trust, can build trust. Yeah, you, you trust people who agree with you, right? You tend to. That's what happened. This is how it started in media. It's how it started in cable news. You just keep preaching to the choir, keep preaching to the choir. And suddenly the choir is very loyal. But then the problem is you got to keep preaching to the choir. And the choir needs more red meat gets hungry, gets a taste for it. One of those things is really weird. Whenever like a bear has attacked a person in Yellowstone or a wolf and they must hunt down this animal and kill it. Why? 
Right, a person sleeping in their neighbor, you know, if, if a bear broke into your house and, and ate you, I'd be in favor of hunting down the bear. That'd be justice. If you break into a bear's house and it eats you, uh, you know, you, you took the risk. But they always say, what do they always say? They always say, the animal, they need to destroy the animal because it has, now it has a taste for human flesh. I, I don't... First of all, have you seen what animals eat? I'm not really sure they have a very discerning palate. Secondly, are we that sweet? Are we that delicious? Was Jeffrey Dahmer onto something? No, no, please spare me your letters. It's a joke. But it is kind of funny when they say, well, he has a taste for human flesh. Like a bear is sitting out there like some junkie who's been hooked on meth and uh, trying to get off meth. And like, I can't stop thinking about, about meth. Bear support group going, you know what? I had thigh and now I, I just can't not have thigh. Salmon just doesn't cut it anymore. I don't believe that for a second. Anyway, I forget how I got off on that. But this story in the Washington Post, it always just cracks me up. He's got a taste for it now. Wow. With that good? Because I've had some good steaks in my life, but I never thought, well, now I'm never touching chicken for as long as I live. There's no point. Forget pork. It's, it's a good steak. But, I mean, come on. Anyway, Washington Post. Amid all the profound challenges and changes roiling the American news media today, newsrooms are debating whether traditional objectivity should still be the standard for news reporting. Is it? Is it? Has it been? When has it been? Objectivity uh, is defined in most dictionaries as expressing or using facts without distortion by personal beliefs, bias, feelings, or prejudice. Journalistic objectivity has been generally understood to mean much the same thing. But increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own views of the world. This objectivity is white supremacy, ladies and gentlemen. Did you not know that? Honesty and objectivity and keeping your personal feelings out of it is white supremacy. You look at these leftists and you listen to what they say and they really... Especially when you apply what they say to black people and what they must think of black people. They must think of black people as these hyper-psychotic, neurotic people who are incapable of taking care of themselves, who are incapable of looking at anything objective, objectively. They have to look at, well, you can't, you can't set aside your ex lived experience sure you can sure you can you look at a horrible situation where a, a family blows up in a gas explosion or some mob hit where they kill 15 people and you can't help but look at it through your what what kind of upbringing did you have that you look at this and you go not again not another five-person murdered gangland style assassination in an italian restaurant no 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 what kind of life did you lead you didn't but they would have you believe that they'd look at it and go, that person shares the same skin tone as me. And so therefore this drug deal gone bad hits really close to home. 
Why? Have you been involved in a lot of drug deals gone bad? I'd be willing to bet that most people listening, most people alive today, have not, in fact, been involved in drug deals gone bad where the violence breaks out and people are murdered. I'd just be willing to put that out there, regardless of their skin color. The Post continues. Uh, they believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both sidesism and covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ plus rights, income inequality, climate change, and many other subjects. What they're admitting right there in the Washington Post is there is no op- there's no valid opposition to the liberal agenda. This is really dangerous kind of territory if you think about it. That's what they are saying. There is no possible discussion to be had about LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ rights. And what do they put under that banner? They put under that banner your 10-year-old having parts of their body sliced off of them and having their uh, drugs being pumped into their body to chemically alter their body permanently without any concern or understanding of the long-term consequences for that. No, no, no. They, they lump that under there. They also lump under there some dude in a thong rubbing their groin in the face of a kid at a brunch because it's a drag queen brunch, drag queen story hour, whatever it is. Those are all part of the same thing. Now, it's kind of funny, the treatment of women, these are the very same people who are otherizing women. They are erasing the existence of women by saying, who knows what a woman is? A woman can be anything they want. Climate change is the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on human beings, man-made climate change. And yet, even questioning it is considered anti-science, while the very act of questioning is, is what science is, or at least used to be. Not saying any of this stuff admitted to in the Washington Post is new. It's just rare that they admit it so openly, so gleefully. Okay, so then this uh, this story in the Washington Post continues, but because as you just said, the uh, the both siderism covering stories about race, treatment of women, LGBTQ plus. All that stuff. No, we're done with that. We used to try and do that, but then you say that they're both sides. There couldn't be both sides. Now think about that in the Tyree Nichols case. What is the one side that is acceptable? The one side that is acceptable is five black guys beating up a black guy is about white supremacy. That's it. There are no dissenting voices out there in left-wing media land going, well, this is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's no one out there even saying, hey, I'd kind of like to know what happened before we got the body cam. You know, why? You're going to release, you make a big deal, we're going to release the body cam footage, we're going to release, we're going to be super transparent, and you don't release everything. It makes me think that maybe you are trying to hide something. But you won't get those questions from anybody with a press pass that isn't from one of about five outlets in the world, in the country. They write, and in today's diversifying newsrooms, they feel it negates many of their own identities, meaning objectivity, life experiences, and cultural contexts, keeping them from pursuing truth in their work. No. 
Your thoughts and opinions don't matter a whit at all, period. Your thoughts on a subject have nothing to do with the who, what, where, and when of a story. You want to get into the why. Once you get into the why, you get into the subjectivity, and you look at it through your perverted left-wing lens, and everything falls back to race. That's how you can look at five black guys beating up a black guy and going, well, racism. It's beyond stupid, but it is the world in which we live. Later on in the story, they say the the consensus among younger journalists is that we got it all wrong. Emilio Garcia Ruiz, editor-in-chief of the San Francisco Chronicle, told us, quote, objectivity has to go. Garcia Ruiz is among the vanguard of print, broadcast, and digital news leaders who have increased their newsroom's diversity and created new avenues of communication among their reporters and editors to discuss issues and coverage. Yeah, basically, this person, I don't know, uh, Emilio has given up completely on what it is. They've just rejected it. Because progressives are progressives first and foremost. Anything else they are is a distant second. It takes a back seat to anything else. And by the way, the one thing you'll never find in that back seat is a decent human being. Some have assembled affinity groups or caucuses of staff members for women, blacks, Latinos, Asian Americans, and LGBTQ plus people and involved them in newsroom decisions. Isn't that, hey, now you see this and you sit there and you you hear this and you go, my God, this is so ridiculous. Look, there's a story that involves a gay black person. We need to talk to gay black people and have them cover it. That's the, anybody else who, you can be black, but you're not gay. You can be gay, but you're not black. Uh, you, You couldn't possibly cover it accurately. You couldn't understand the who, what, where, and when of a story no 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 we've got it and you see this and you sit there and you you shake your head you get disgusted you go god this is this is racism this is the same racism that only uh this person who looks like you can represent you in congress and you end up with democrats going we must draw and republicans play this game too we must draw majority black districts why how about you just draw geographic squares and however people happen to live in those geographic squares where you've captured 400,000 people. So be it. Majority black, majority gay, majority whatever. Whatever it is, just draw the square because we're all supposed to be human beings. But thanks to the left, you're not. You're not a human being. You are your genitals. You are your genitalia. You are your skin color. And that's it. You dare stray from what they think somebody with those irrelevant attributes is acceptable to do and you're the enemy you can be destroyed you can be called any racial slur you want there will be no outrage about what happens to you you deserved it you sold out your community used to be community was your geographic area your immediate geographic area now community is who you have sex with it's Honestly, it's one of the most disgusting things that has ever happened to human beings. But it's what Democrats do. 
It's their key to power. Convince people you're part of a group and that that group is under assault somehow by some nebulous other and that Democrats are the only ones who can protect you from it. And it works. It works. Slavish Democrat loyalty from progressives. Doesn't matter how bad an economy is, how crime-ridden any neighborhood is, white, black, gray, anything. It doesn't matter. They've somehow managed to convince people that the alternative is worse. You really got to ask, how could it be worse? How could Baltimore be worse? How could Detroit be worse? You're looking at 50, 60, 70 years of straight-up Democrat rule, which means blind Democrat loyalty. How could it be worse? More people murdered? Fewer jobs? Like, what, what could it be? More junkies on the street? Sooner or later, you run out of people to be shooting up between their toes down the inner harbor of Baltimore. Don't you? So if there's a Republican, what are they going to do? They're going to comb the counties and bring them in and go, here's even more. Nope. But that's what they'd have you believe. That's what they'd have you believe. So that a story involving a, a gay guy has to have input from gay reporters. He has to have a gay reporter. If you're not a gay reporter, what are you doing? Well, what do you do? What do you do if the choice for a gay reporter is to write honestly about, say, what happened to Matthew Shepard? Or write the myth of what happened to Matthew Shepard? If you remember, Matthew Shepard was probably 20, 25 years ago now, gay guy out in, I don't know, Idaho, somewhere, Wyoming. He became, they used his name, they still use his name, they still invoke his memory to pass, they passed hate crime legislation against gay people. They still use it to try and expand hate crime legislation. Matthew Shepard, St. Matthew Shepard, killed because he was gay. Rural America, of course he had to be killed because he was gay. Rural America, there's nothing more racist and homophobic than rural America. People who wear cowboy boots for practical purposes, my God, they're just this side of the clan. When in reality, one of the two guys who killed Matthew Shepard was an ex-boyfriend. And it was over money related to drugs. Yes. Don't, don't take my word for it. Do a little bit of research. Dig past the headlines. Read the stories. Read the people who actually did the research. Don't read stories at the time. Like, oh my God, he just killed because he was gay and chained to a fence. No. They murdered him because he owed him a bunch of money. It's a drug deal gone bad. Horrible people doing horrible things. But you can't be honest about that because Democrats right now, especially, are trying to decriminalize drugs. So <laughs> guess what's going to happen? What you going to get more of? Drug deals going bad. People owing money over drugs. Guess what that's going to lead to? Not only more overdoses, but more murders. Because it turns out that drug dealers, even if you've had sex with them, gay or straight or whatever, are not super understanding when it comes to you just can't make the payment this week. They're just not. But according to the Washington Post, you're going to get, you got to consult with these people. If you're going to have a story about a, uh, a trans person 
who is killed. Well, then you've got to talk. It's just a trans person of color. You've got to find the closest configuration to that you can to consult with them. What should be the tone and tenor of this coverage? Nowhere in there will it be, well, what if it turns out this person was a, a prostitute and heavily into drugs, and that's kind of what happened there. It's a, it was a, 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 It just went wrong from there. It wasn't because this person was trans at all. It was because they were arguing over price or arguing over drugs or whatever. Well, you can't report that. What do you mean you can't report that? That's what happened. Well, as a trans, gay trans representative on this uh, story, if you report that, that will attach a stigma to the trans prostitute world, the trans world, that all trans people are doing drugs. Because leftists have no faith in human beings to be able to understand, look at a situation and, and think for themselves. And oh, by the way, it just turns out that most, the vast majority of uh, tr- murders involving trans people also involve prostitution and drugs because you're dealing with people with severe mental issues. But once you start connecting those, I don't even want those dots to be on the page because they don't want you to think that. They want you to think that it's perfectly normal. It's perfectly normal. And your seven-year-old boy picking up a Barbie is probably trans. And if you try to deny that, you're the problem. It's not, you know, normal for a kid to do that. And it's certainly uh, not always say, well, there's a disproportionate number of trans people who are homeless. What other common attributes are there amongst the homeless? Oh, yeah, uh, mental issues. They don't want you to explore that. They want you to think that everybody, trans person who lives on the streets, is nothing but uh, somebody who was tossed out on their rear end by their white Christian conservative parents who refused to accept them for who they were and made them homeless. Well, no, that's not how it works. Are there some? Maybe. Is that the norm? Is that no? No, it's not. But if you start getting into meth youths and prostitution and all sorts of other things that are uh, used to acknowledge by the profession of psychiatry that went hand in hand with gender dysphoria, then you open up a whole can of worms that might lead to other questions that, quite frankly, these people are not prepared to answer. And since they are not prepared to answer, they are prepared to ensure never get asked. It's wildly dangerous. So you end up in a situation where you get this story in the Washington Post about how objectivity going the way of the dodo. It's a good thing. Objectivity is overrated. It's overrated. No, 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 no. Claudia Milline, uh, Senior Vice President of Standards and Practices for CBS News, pointed out that decisions about which news to cover can reflect an organization's values, whether or not they are stated publicly, as the Post has done with its slogan, Democracy Dies in Darkness. Sometimes the language used in news stories also can reflect such values. Quote, I don't want to throw labels like racist or lying around willy-nilly. The evidence should be high, Joseph Kahn, executive editor of the New York Times, told us. But 
I think it's true that when the evidence is there, we should not default to some mealy-mouthed so-called neutral language that some people see as a falsehood while others do not. When the evidence is there, we should be clear and direct with our audience that we don't think there are multiple sides to this question. This is a falsehood, and the person repeating the falsehood over and over is guilty of lying. It sounds like this guy, you're going to get a fair shake from Joseph Kahn. Remember the New York Times fired an opinion editor two years ago for publishing an opinion that was out of favor with the liberal newsroom. There's supposed to be a wall of separation between the newsroom and opinion. At least there was supposed to be two years ago. But once the idiots at the New York Times and the newsroom climbed that wall and started throwing firebombs into the opinion side to the point that very quickly the spineless ownership and management of the New York Times fired its opinion editor for running an opinion from a United States senator, by the way, that wall came down. The infestation. It's weird because normally you worry about the opinion side creeping into the news side. It was the news side that tore down the wall, that metastasized into the... They went over there and said, please, we drag people, we drag your job description into our job description." There's a guy who, uh, and I don't, I'm not a particular fan of his reporting, and I'm not going to name him, but he was around at the beginning of the Daily Caller. I was the first person hired at the Daily Caller. And I brought in a, a conservative, a famous conservative, let's just put it that way, before there was a website to meet with people. I thought, well, this person would be good for everybody in the organization to, to know a little because in case there's a news story that's relevant and you want to get this person's opinion or somebody like this person, here is the person. It was the number one person on this particular issue. Brought him in, Christian conservative leaders. Bring him in and you can we'll have a nice breakfast and a nice meeting, sort of like an editorial board meeting, except we hadn't even launched the website yet. But this person will be there for when, because there are stories that are relevant to what this person does, that if you need to get opinion or you want to get a, a quote from somebody, you'll now have that relationship. It won't be just a random cold email. You'll know, this person will know who you are emailing them. And this reporter sat in on it. He'd been around a while, he was older. And he left about 10 minutes into it. So it was just a discussion. It wasn't anything super formal. It was more a, let's get this person in your Rolodex should you ever have use for this person. And then an email comes out, I should not have been involved in that. Uh, that is purely on the opinion side. That is fine for you guys, but I don't want that polluting my work, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine. You don't have to use them. You don't have to be a jackass about it, but you don't have to use them. But this guy took it so seriously that he would never in a million years do it. Now the guy's changed. He's a, moved on a long time ago. He's a liberal, and it's pretty obvious he's a liberal. It's kind of funny to watch. Remember the, the hyperventilating email I got from this guy? Going, How dare you? I'll never put opinion in this. So wonderful. Now that's the business model of the left. That's the business model of media. Please metastasize our newsroom opinion people. Do you think 
people are going to be better served by this? Does anybody think people are going to be better served by this? Or are things going to continue to get worse? Ideology doesn't matter. Right or left, it doesn't matter. The problem is the concept. Oh, by the way, the, uh, the FBI is reportedly searching Joe Biden's house today. In Rehoboth Beach, the man, I guess you have, when you own mansions across the, the state of Delaware, you have to kind of go, oh, uh, which, which mansion? You mean you're, they've already searched his mansions. We learned that the FBI had searched the, um, De, what is it, the, the Penn Biden Center back in November. The FBI went in and searched. It was with the blessing of the Biden, they'd already gone through and searched all of it, so the FBI comes in afterwards. <laughs> it's amazing to me. Oh, well, you've, you've done this, now we'll come in. You mean you've used people uh, who are not legally allowed to handle classified materials to search for classified materials? And, uh, all right, and they've handled classified materials. Well, would, do you mind if we go in again, just, just, for, just so we can say we checked the box? All right, cool, thanks. No warrant was sought. No uh, raid was initiated. When you're on the team, you're on the team. But you have to, there are certain boxes you have to check. Town Hall reports the FBI launched a search of President Joe Biden's Rehoboth, Delaware House on Wednesday morning after again coordinating with the president's personal attorneys. The search initially reported by NBC News was followed up with confirmation from President Biden's personal attorney, Bob Bauer. In a statement, Bauer explained, quote, Today, with the president's full support and cooperation, the DOJ is conducting a planned search of his home in Rehoboth, Delaware. You mean the place that Joe Biden goes pretty much every third day? After we've had months and months and months to clean up the joint and hide or destroy any documents out there, we've now allowed the FBI to come in and search. And we're hoping that the people we paid did a thorough job of hiding all that stuff. Uh, under DOJ's standard procedures, in the interest of operational security and integrity, it sought to do this work without advance public notice, and we agreed to cooperate. What do you mean you agreed to cooperate? Did you have the option of not cooperating? Is that what's implicit there? We agreed to cooperate. We decided not to let them in. Well, that, I suppose, is what led what was going on up until this point since this scandal has been ongoing since the end of last year. It's been going on three, four, five months now. And they kept finding more and more documents everywhere Joe Biden laid his hat for the night, but his hair plugs on a pillow. He uh, seemed to have brought documents with him at some point from his time in the Senate or his time as vice president. You'd think that the FBI might have said, hey, maybe we should go check out that other house over there since we're finding it over here. So I'm not really sure with the full cooperation, like I say, once left with no other alternatives, these leftists will eventually do the right thing. What's most obnoxious is they then demand glory and praise for having done the right thing. 
<laughs> and they demand that you ignore the fact that they spent a lot of time exercising every other option, throwing up every roadblock they possibly could. The statement continues, the search today is a further step towards a thorough and timely DOJ process. We will continue to fully support and facilitate. It's the next step. I thought I thought you were fully cooperating from the very beginning. What? How can there be steps? You just fully cooperate. The FBI shows up at your house and says, we want to search your house. We have a warrant. You don't get to go, well, now, wait a second. This week, I'll allow you to search the shed in the garage, all right? The shed in the garage and the little mudroom just off the garage. But other than that, you're going to have to wait a little while. We're going to fight this out for a while behind the scenes because, oh, by the way, you're the, the boss of the FBI. And then you'll come back as more and more dribs and drabs come out and you go, okay, now you can search the living room and one of my offices. And then maybe in another week you can search the bedrooms and what have you. You don't get that. There is no incremental cooperation. There is cooperation. And actually when it comes to people who aren't as corrupt as the Bidens, there's no cooperation. It is capitulation. It is like being on a date. It's like being a personal assistant to Hunter Biden. This is happening. Get used to the idea. This is how it's happening. This is going to happen. That brings us to Kate Bedingfield. Kate Bedingfield is the White House Communications Director. Again, in another testament to just how awful the historic Corinne Jean-Pierre is at her job. They do not put her out there. They have not put her out there for interviews. They do not put her out there for places where she can go and get questioned about this. She is out of the loop. Honest to God. Uh, look, she's awful. She's terrible. She's not particularly bright, and she's certainly not quick on her feet. But she is also awful at her job because of the way that this racist administration, and there's only one way to describe it. I mean, Joe Biden and and white Kate Bedingfield and the white communications team, they have to be keeping this gay black woman, who's an immigrant too, out of the loop so they can send her out there to make a fool of herself. Now, at some point they had to have decided she keeps, she keeps stepping, she's awful at this, and you at least have to assume at, to begin with. Now, maybe it might not prove out, but you got to assume that she's so awful at her job at the start because you keep her out of the meetings. You keep her away from the briefings. You don't let her come in and, uh, and get the, you know, the strategy meetings. Or anything. They keep her away. So if you're not in on the meetings and you're just given a script to go out there and read it, you're certainly not going to be as well-versed on the topic as somebody who's involved in the strategy of it. That could be part of the problem. The only reason to keep her out of there is you don't trust her. The only reason not to trust her is because of her sexuality or skin color and immigration status, right? I mean, that's how Democrats play this game. It would be wrong to not play this game by their rules. Realistically, she's just awful at her job. But to be fair, she's never really been given the tools to improve at her job. When you're just handed a three-ring binder 
and told, go out and read the corresponding pages to whatever questions you are, of course you're going to suck at the job. She could do a better job on her own. She could do some independent study. She could do some practicing. She could be familiarizing herself with the pages in that binder so that she doesn't have to read them and look like a complete moron. All of these things are true. But the core of it, the start of how bad she is at her job starts with her. So they don't send her out anymore. All she does is go out there and she's like a chatty Cathy doll with a robotic arm and access to her own string going, I'm not going to comment on that at this time. I'm not going to comment on that at this time. I'm not going to comment on that at this time. It's all she does. So when it comes to an interview time, when they're, they're looking and if they're sending out the communications director, you know that they're concerned. You know that their internal polling is not good on this issue. People are looking at what Joe Biden is doing and the drip, drip, drip and more and more documents and more and more places. And is Junkie Sun having access to them, etc., etc.? Even though if you watch the uh, left-wing outlets, you wouldn't know most of this. You wouldn't know most. They talk like when they... The the documents in the garage story first broke. That was a story everywhere for about two or three days. Now it doesn't exist anymore. MSNBC, there's no special edition of the Rachel Maddow show or Joy Reid sitting there going, you know, the president's son is a little bit compromised. The president's son should not be having, a, he would not be able to get security clearance in the private sector. He should not have had access to these documents, yet there he is driving the car while these documents are in the garage, etc. Et you will not know that. It will That story of Hunter Biden driving the car with the two young girls was broken by the Washington Free Beacon. And I don't think it was ever mentioned in the Times, the Post, or any of the left-wing outlets. So it's that separate world I talk about. Anyway, Kate Bedingfield appeared on CNN yesterday to talk about this. And she was asked, you guys keep saying that you've cooperated fully, that you are cooperating fully, that you're down with this. There's no obstruction. You're transparent as you can transparent be, man. Yet we keep finding out things that happened a long time ago that you guys didn't tell us about. We just find out about them, or you finally admit things. You're not being super transparent. And Kate Bedingfield's answer is, well, we're telling you the truth, even when we're lying to you. So, Kate, you're claiming transparency, but I'm bringing this to you. You aren't bringing it to me. This happened in mid-November. If you are indeed being transparent, why the continued trickle of disclosure around these classified documents? We have released multiple statements from the White House and President Biden's personal attorney has released multiple statements over the last month uh, walking through the process and agreeing to be fully, fully cooperative with the Justice Department. This is a, uh, a process that plays out. We are responsive to the Justice Department's requests. We have been clear from the outset that the president will cooperate with every request the Justice Department has, and we put out multiple statements. <laughs> we put out multiple statements. Every time a new lie was exposed, we came out and said, well, we won't do that again. We've come out and admitted that we were caught lying and had no place else to deny it. That's not an answer. <laughs> we will co-op. The president has said we will cooperate fully. So you'll have an interview with the FBI? Well, I mean, not fully. 
We have always released statements. Every time they've been caught lying, they released a new statement admitting what they could no longer hide. Now, granted, they weren't on record denying these things because nobody knew, right? Nobody knew about it. (laughs) You can't can't say somebody knew about it and the White House denied it. They buried it so nobody was asked about it. So therefore, their defense is we are not on record lying to you because we successfully hid this from you. (laughs) I mean, it's... uh, it's a strategy, I guess, but it's not a great strategy. I just wanted to point that out because that, it cracks me up. I'm like, well, we didn't, we didn't tell you the truth before, but we didn't lie to you. We we just it was a lie of omission. No, 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 no. We we don't lie by we don't admit anything unless we absolutely have to. Meanwhile, the president of the United States is uh, he was going out to. He's coming back from somewhere yesterday. He's been, it's funny. He went to Baltimore yesterday to come and talk about a $6 billion grant for a, uh, a tunnel. It's really kind of funny. A, a tunnel in Baltimore, $6 billion. And then he went up to New York to talk about another tunnel on the same line. And this is, tell me if this makes any sense to you. $6 billion for a tunnel in Baltimore. Tunnel that already exists, by the way. I guess maybe they're going to build a second one. But it, it seems to me like they could maybe just expand the one that already exists. But, uh, you know, whatever. No, no, no. You want it to be twice as high or whatever. But their tunnels, the tunnels have multiple tracks, two, sometimes three tracks going through them. You could, I don't know, dig down. Because right? if you've got to dig up, it's the bay. But you could dig down. You could lower the ground. But no, they want to dig a whole new tunnel, $6 billion. And then he goes to New York, Associated Press. New day, new tunnel. President Joe Biden is ready to showcase a $292 million mega grant that will be used to help build a new rail tunnel beneath the Hudson River between uh, New York and New Jersey as part of a broader effort, blah, 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 blah. The money is part of a $1.2 billion mega grant awarded under the 2021 infrastructure law. So one, somehow a tunnel in Baltimore is $6 billion, but a tunnel under the Hudson River is $1.2 billion. Anybody believe in that? Anybody believe? See, the thing about government is really all you got to do is get the shovels in the ground, start the pro- Forget about the cost projections. Forget about all the lies. You say, this one in New York is only going to cost, we're going to give $292 million. And it's only part of 1.2 billion. Don't worry about it. It's going to be cheap. But if you get $1.2 billion into this thing and you've dug, I don't know, 20 feet deep and 30 feet long, what are you going to do? Are you going to go, well, we tried. We ran out of money. Screw it. Let's just leave it. No, it's not how government works. Government will go, well, we we started. We've got to keep spending money on it. That's how you get the big dig up in Boston. It wasn't federal mostly, but it it was just this ridiculous project that ended up costing exponentially uh, times the uh, amount of money of what it was going to cost. It's because, well, we're already into it. We're already committed. We've already put a lot of, it's like gambling and you got a lot of money sitting in front of you playing poker and you've lost half your money and you're kind of like, well, I'm either going to lose the other half or I'm going to win it back and kind of stuck in that no man's land where you go, it's not really worth walking away from right now, but I'm just going to keep losing money. That's how government functions. 
So I just, I just thought that was funny. Meanwhile, while Joe is coming back from that, you can hear the, the reason I give that context is because the helicopter in the background is really loud. So the audio is not particularly good here. The president, the White House announced that in May, May 14th or 15th, I think it is, they are ending the COVID lockdown. They're all the emergencies related to COVID. The declaration of an emergency. It's over in May. It's February, March, April, May. Four months away. Four months away. You're declaring an end to an emergency four months away, which realistically means there is no emergency right now. Because you don't know what, if there is an emergency right now, you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen four months down the road. But they're declaring it now for all sorts of reasons. This could really screw over Joe Biden's plan to, quote unquote, forgive student loan debt. As Democrats, I think, would rather run on the issue than solve it, as evidenced by the fact that while uh, Focahontas, Elizabeth Warren, was running around saying, we need to do this, and Bernie Sanders going, we need to forgive student loan debt. When Democrats controlled the Senate and the House, they didn't pass legislation. They didn't even try to pass legislation to do that. So tells you a little bit of how unserious they are on the subject. Anyway, since the president has declared a coming end to the COVID emergency, a reporter asked him about it. You can hear it. She says the question, and then she repeats the question. And Joe Biden says something that is nonsensical. Just stupid. Just beyond stupid. I don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Stupid. What's behind the decision to end the COVID emergency, Mr. President? What's behind your decision to end the COVID emergency? COVID emergency will end when the Supreme Court ends it. We've extended from May the 15th to make sure that everything's done. That's all. There's nothing behind the <laughs> The COVID emergency will end when the Supreme Court ends it. Did nobody ever explain to this guy what his job is, what's in the job description, what powers he has, the the documents that are put in front of him that he signs? Did nobody ever briefed him up on what's going on in his own life? Or what the role of the Supreme Court is? The Supreme Court is, you don't just sit around going, well, we'll wait for the Supreme Court to decide what I can and can't do. You've And then he admits, because you would think, well, maybe he doesn't know. There's a possibility that he's just so senile he doesn't know that um that he's uh you know ended that he signed something that ends the covid emerge state of emergency in four months no he says it right there at the end it's gonna end on may 15th but the state of emergency will end when the supreme court ends it what the hell is he talking about anybody know what the hell he's does he know what he's talking about but no, it's weird because at a time of COVID when he still randomly wears masks, he goes right up to the press. It was drizzling a little bit yesterday in Washington, D.C. He goes right up to the press and gets in this woman's face like he's it's been 12 minutes since I've sniffed hair. So I've got to get close to this woman. And he's under her umbrella and he grabs her umbrella and he doesn't, I don't know, he moves closer to her under a small umbrella. It's a little bit gross. And then again, it's Joe Biden. But he doesn't seem to know what the hell he's doing, what he's talking about, which actually is just a day that ends in Y for this guy. Now I want to uh, switch from our idiot president to my idiot former governor, 
former, I almost called him governor, Larry Hogan. Larry isn't an idiot. Larry is just, I don't know. Larry is a disappointment. Larry is the kind of guy who cares very deeply about Larry. Which is fine, I guess, in politics. If you're not going to care about yourself, who's going to? But to the exclusion of everything else, we've talked before about uh, various... It's always the liberal governors in liberal states, the liberal Republican governors in liberal states, who are wildly popular. Whoever that guy was that just left up in Massachusetts. Oh, he's so wildly popular. Yeah, because it's... It allows Democrats to say, oh, I like this. I don't hate all Republicans. I like this Republican who hates all Republicans. (laughs) I don't hate all Republicans. I like this Republican. It just so happens that the Republican I like hates all Republicans. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, I don't hate conservatives. Larry Hogan, this right-wing governor. Larry, there's no planet on which Larry Hogan is conservative. Honestly, like what are the issues? That he's conservative. I cut taxes. It's a little bit more to conservatism than the vapid talking points that Larry Hogan belches out every once in a while. But this is who he is. But at least he's now that he's got the time on his hands that he's a former governor. He is going and making the rounds. This is going to be really funny to watch. As Larry Hogan tries to position himself as a candidate for president. I'd say the alternative to Trump. It's not the alternative to Trump. Nikki Haley is going to be announcing in about two weeks, and uh, presumably there will be others, and I hope there are others. I do not want a coronation of anybody. Play the field. Convince me. Never be blindly loyal to a politician because they will never be blindly loyal to you. Even if you think, oh, they agree with me all the time, or I agree with them. Don't do it. Hold them to account. And I know it's wildly unpopular to say, and everybody cringes when you say it, uh, but it's got to be said. Donald Trump speaks a good game. Donald Trump did pay lip service to a lot of things, and he did do or try to do some of those things, but he didn't do all of them. He didn't do all of them. He talked about building a wall. He took his time in getting there. He ultimately did build some wall, but okay. But he also talked about ending birthright citizenship by issuing executive orders to end birthright citizenship, killing the anchor baby industry. He never did it. Never did it. Should have. Would have been nice. I'd never actually even heard an explanation from him as to why he didn't bother to do it. The argument might be, well, the lawyers told him, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. Sort of a uh, kill them all, let God sort them out mentality. Well, the lawyers say this. Well, the lawyers don't really know what in the hell the Supreme Court is going to do. Look Look at every Democrat. What do they do? They constantly are pushing and signing executive orders that you just look at it on the face. You're like, this is wildly unconstitutional. This is insane. And what do they do? They go, well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it is. We'll let the Supreme Court decide. I'm going to push it through. Now, in an ideal world, people would not be pushing for legislation or signing executive orders that they even remotely believe are unconstitutional. But that's not the world we live in. 
we have to deal with the reality in which we live, not the one in which we should. So you sit there and you go, well, I believe that we can do this. That's a sketchy argument, whatever. But you have no idea. Honestly, you have no idea how the Supreme Court is going to decide where they're going to fall. So you do it anyway. Yes, they'll be hit with an injunction. You'll do this. You'll do that. And it'll be fought out in the courts over the coming months and years. But at least the ball is rolling. You're having a discussion. You don't preemptively go, this will never pass. The Supreme Court will never allow it. So I'm not going to try. As long as it doesn't literally violate fundamental rights of Americans or a blatant violation of the Constitution, then why in the hell wouldn't you? You should. But he didn't. I'd like to know why he didn't. I really would like to know why Donald Trump didn't try but he didn't try anyway larry hogan goes on uh, fox finally because he's out there and he's ready now to uh <laughs> to run for i can't not laugh at that he's gonna run for he's running for president and he's talking to neil cavuto okay he's talking to neil cavuto neil cavuto isn't really gonna drill grill him press him on anything and he asked him about, and just listen to Larry. It's just something about Larry Hogan that drives me nuts. There's talk that you will be among those candidates. Is that true? Well, I'm certainly giving it uh, very serious consideration. You know, we've been really successful 30 miles outside of Washington where everything appears to be broken and nothing but divisiveness and dysfunction. I'm in a, one of the bluest states in the country with a 70% progressive legislature, and I got them to cut taxes eight years in a row by $4.8 billion, and I had the biggest economic turnaround in America. So we're, we're taking a close look at it. I was able to do this. With the, what else were you able to do, Larry? Well, I, uh, what else were you able to do, Larry? The rain tax. You've been dining out on that one. Wildly unpopular. Even Democrats said we got to get rid of that. That's, it counts that as a tax cut. What else did you do, Larry? More importantly, Larry... As you sit there and try to make the case of how, goodness, you're the, the best and you're super conservative. But as you, you sit there and you try and make that case, Larry, what of your legacy do you think is going to be left, is still going to be in place at the end of this legislative session in Annapolis? The legislative session in Annapolis is 90 days. It is Democrat governor. It is Democrat legislature. It is overwhelmingly Democrat, overwhelmingly left-wing Democrats. There is nothing of note, of importance, that Larry Hogan did as governor that will still be in place, that it could be remotely considered conservative, that will still be in place by the end of this legislative session. I promise you that. So what is Larry Hogan's legacy now you could say and realistically this is all you could say is his legacy is he postponed really bad things from happening for a while he delayed the implementation of really bad things because he defeat otherwise there would have been two democrat governors and those democrat governors would have absolutely advocated for and signed some of the worst ideas to come out of Annapolis possible. That, I suppose, is true, and it beats a sharp stick in the eye. Not by a whole lot, but it does. 
it's not exactly a selling point for somebody to run for president of the United States, but what are you going to do? That's all he's got. That's all he's bringing to the table. So he's sitting there talking about... He loves talking about his wild approval rate. I was the most popular governor in the country. Well, great. You can sit there in a diner in Dundalk mumbling that to yourself in a couple of years. I was the most popular governor ever. As all traces of your existence as governor and everything you did that you look at as some kind of accomplishment, as those disappear, as the state legislature wipes them out one by one by one. Make no mistake, they will. They will do it because they want some things gone because they don't like them. They will do others because they just hate you, period. End of story. That's the way the world works, Larry. So you can sit there and be self-righteous. But ultimately, the reason your legacy will amount to nothing, an empty, empty vessel, a vague memory, not even a footnote, honestly, in a couple of decades in the history of the state of Maryland, is not because of what you did, it's because of what you didn't do. You didn't like who the Republicans nominated after your term, that follow you up. You didn't like it. It was your way or the highway, and you chose the highway because the voters didn't want to go your way. Now, was Dan Cox going to win? Probably not. But Dan Cox was torpedoed by and large by you. It's really hard for any party to really, I mean, that's the reason Larry Hogan won, is after, you know, eight years of O'Malley, and then like O'Malley's henchmen, enough already, we need a break. It's how Ehrlich won, too, by the way. It was enough of Glenn Denning. We don't need Kennedy Townsend. But to not even try it and to sit there and go, I cannot and will not. This is, I will not campaign for them. I won't campaign for anybody. I am not interested in X, Y, and Z. Making it all about you. By making it all about you, Larry, and your approval or disapproval, your tisk-tisking of the rest of the party, ultimately you screwed yourself. You caused the complete wipeout of your legacy. Couldn't happen to a more deserving guy, honestly, in the way you ended up being. It's just just gross. Unfortunate, too, because you could have done some things and you didn't. Anyway, in the time that we have left, I want to play you some other audio, too. It is, um, first off, we've got Representative Sarah Jacobs, Democrat from California. I don't understand how... Democrats are quite good at absolving anybody of playing any role in their lives, of having any responsibility for anything at all in their existence. Oh, you smoke meth all day. Well, you know, society can be rough on you. What do you mean society can be rough on you? He's a junkie. All right, get him off the... T- There's Somebody was uh, circulating these things, and I retweeted them. I couldn't find them. But I'd retweet and there's somewhere in there. It's amazing how my timeline gets screwed up. And like I, I tweeted this. I was like, it should be there. Or retweeted this. But it is an ad campaign out of San Francisco for drug use. And telling people, don't... It was like, use with a buddy. And don't inject... Look, if you inject... Apparently, I am no expert on this. Don't take your drug use advice from me at all in any way shape or form 
But apparently, if you inject yourself with drugs that have fentanyl, it is, or just drugs and whatever, it is much more dangerous than smoking it. It is uh, mainlining, whatever. I guess it makes sense if you really think about it. It's just that I'm not a drug user. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. That being said, they put up these sort of PSA billboards and signs all around the city. Here they are. Talking about how best to use drugs. No overdose. And it's K-N-O-W, overdose. It says, change it up. Try ingesting or smoking instead of snorting. And there is a picture of, uh, I, I assume they're trans people. Not really just is and trans people doing drugs doing drugs and it says use naloxone to save lives naloxone is a blah 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 uh let's go uh let's take care of each other san francisco there's the tagline and it's one two three four five looks like a united colors of benetton ad at a gay bar of people doing drugs and drag like they're having a blast by the way if you didn't know what they were doing you'd look at this picture and go they're having fun I kind of want to, it's like every prescription drug commercial you see. Like, I don't know what in the hell this is, but the people who have it in this ad are some of the happiest human beings I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. I don't uh, don't know what moderate to severe plaque psoriasis is, and don't write me, but, you know, the, the people in this commercial are having a blast. They're living their best life. Here I am slaving away, and these people are living the dream. I don't know what it is, but this pill takes care of it and they're happy. That's another one. No overdose. Take it easy. Go slow and use less at first to test the strength of your drugs. And there are three people sitting there. There's a dude, a white dude with dreadlocks, which is, to my understanding, it's cultural appropriation. And there's a white lady and a black lady and they're, uh, they're kind of petting the guy in the middle. And he's got pills and cigarettes and uh, one of them's got a syringe in there. They're having, a, again, they're having a good old time because they're taking it easy. You don't want to overdose on the drug you're addicted to that has ruined your life, that has caused you to run out to the streets and live on the streets. So go slow at first till you figure out how much fentanyl is in your, uh, your drugs you're injecting. So yeah, take it easy. The eagles should sue. And then there's those same people from the last ad, a guy in a wheelchair with a needle in his hand. He's, he's one of those guys in a wheelchair with the, without the leg thing. I always got a kick out of this guy. The guy in the wheelchair who moves the wheelchair by moving his legs. And it like, yeah, I think you're missing the point of the wheelchair. I think you might've just come across a wheelchair in a dumpster or stolen it and you got rid of the leg things, or you sold them, or whatever, because they were in the way, because you're not really, you're not really paralyzed if you're moving the wheelchair by walking your legs. You're just, you're not going to give up the chair, because if you leave the chair, you're going to lose the chair. So there's that guy sitting there with his own needle, and another guy with a, a, a vest, he's, he's smiling, he's sitting on the ground, he's got a smile, it might as well be like a family reunion photo. And the dude, the white dude with the dreadlocks has now injected himself. He's got his arm tied off and he's, he's gone 
into La La Land. And the, the poster says, no overdose. Do it with friends. Use with people and take turns. Try not to use alone or have someone check on you. I don't know how many junkies you know. It's not like I, you know, know that many junkies or whatever. I have known some junkies in my time. They don't really play well with others. Just saying. And they also don't go, you know what? You get high and I'll make sure you're all right. I'll sit here, not high, watch you get high and I'll make sure you don't overdose. And then when you come sober again, it'll be my turn. Junkies are not, if you're looking for collaboration, if you're looking for people to uh, count on you, to water your plants while you're out of town, to, to break into your tent and water your pot plants, and put it in terms that are at least semi-believable, another junkie is probably not the person for that. That's not how the world works. That's not the mentality. So to sit there and say, hey, here's what you got to do, it's just take your turns getting high. It's not like they want to get high and they're like, oh, it's no fun to be in a heroin-induced, I won't fall over, but I'm almost going to fall over stupor in the middle of this intersection for three hours while I'm high as a kite on heroin. It's no fun to do that alone. It's that they're all junkies. They're all addicts. They don't care. They don't give it. As soon as somebody goes, all right, I'll watch your stuff while you get baked. You know what's going to happen? Your stuff's going to be gone when you come to, including all your drugs that you have left over. Why? Because you're dealing with junkies. The junkie's going to go, this person is unconscious. They've got drugs. I was going to go out and perform bizarre sex acts or beg for money or everything so I could buy drugs. When in reality, there are drugs sitting right there. I can cut out the middleman and go right to the drugs. But this is San Francisco. Maybe they've got a better class of junkie that I don't know about. It just cracks me up. So when you hear about the overdose deaths and the lack of concern from Democrats, this is what people are talking about. This is the world that the left, the progressive left is creating. No overdoses. Yeah, no overdoses. How about just don't view overdoses as a chance to steal your buddy's kits? (laughs) that's not going to work either, but what the hell? Anyway, San Francisco, we are out of time for, I was promised California was going to fall into the ocean. Imagine how high the ocean would get with all that drugs. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. See you then.